Father, thank you. You can be seated and find 1 Chronicles chapter 25. 1 Chronicles chapter 25, if you would. I love Brother Bo Wagner. And the first time I ever heard him preach was at this meeting several years ago, I guess. And I had never heard him preach before, fell in love with him, had him into our church and uh, preached for us in our Jubilee. I don't know if he slipped out or not, if he's still in here. I appreciate his influence on my sons. And uh, I've got several young preacher boys in our church to love Bo Wagner. And I appreciate that. And, uh, and thank God for him. And, and uh, nobody can weave a story like he can. And I tell you, I knew where he was headed. I knew where he was going. We all knew it. But when he got there, I was right there with him. And I was, man, man, bless my heart. Bless my heart. First Chronicles chapter 25. I know what time it is, but the Morgan's getting ready to come up here and uh, set this thing on fire. And so I just give you, I'm going to give you just a thought, just a thought. And I, I had several little thoughts to this afternoon. And I, I wanted to preach this afternoon on the wonders of the King James Bible. And I, I wanted to say something about it. I, I, I won't. I'll, I'll, I'll just stay here. But I, I know that there's been several things said about it. And I just want—I just want to just throw my hat in the ring, and I just want to make sure everybody knows I am in the King James only crowd. I'm in that camp, proud to be. And and like I said, if you are liberal here, I hope it gives you the heebie-jeebies that we are. And uh, I, I just want to be identified with that. And uh, that's all that I'll say. First Chronicles chapter 25. Let me get into it quickly here. Tell you a little story, then I'll get out of the way. Verse 1, Moreover David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals, and the number of the workmen according to their service was. Of the sons of Asaph, Zachar and Joseph, Nethaniah, Azarelah, the sons of Asaph under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. Of Jeduthun, the sons of Jeduthun, Gedaliah, Ziri, Jeshiah, Hashabiah, Mattiah, six, under the hands of their father Jeduthun, who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and to praise the Lord. Of Heman, the sons of Heman, Bukiah, Mataniah, Oziel, Shabuel, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliatha, Gadalti, Romanti, Ezer, Josh Bekisha, Malothi, Hother, Maya, Mahazioth. Thank you, Scorby. Verse 5. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, in the words of God to lift up the horn. And God gave to Heman 14 sons and three daughters. And the great blessing of that is that it was not 14 daughters and three sons. I want to preach for just a minute, for just a minute, and I'm watching the time. I'm going to preach for just a minute on a he-man named Heman. A he-man named Heman. First Chronicles chapter 22 through chapter 29 is a very lengthy section of Scripture that gives us details that most of us would not be interested in. As Brother Wagner just referenced, David had desired to build a temple to replace the tabernacle of God, but God had denied him that request. It's interesting that God put that request, that desire in his heart, and then denied him the request. And God told David, I'll let you make some preparations, but actually it's Solomon that's going to build the temple. You've been a man of war. David himself has shed blood, and for that reason, God wanted Solomon to build the temple. 
We can imagine David's disappointment, but he accepted it and he dedicated the rest of his life, the last year of his life, to setting aside materials and making preparations and blueprints that Solomon would use to build that temple. You will read in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and chapter 28 how that David um, hired stonemasons to hew stones and he gathered iron to make nails and hinges and doors and gates and things of that nature. He gathered brass out of his own treasury. He gave gold and silver out of his own treasury, gold and silver beyond number. And David went beyond just supplying the materials. He also laid out in great detail the worship in that temple. It would not be new worship, but it would be organized differently. It would be kind of like if we met in a tent for years and then all of a sudden we had a church building. And now we would have responsibilities and there would be duties and we'd have a choir loft and things of that nature. And so things would be just a little bit different. And so what David begins to do is he begins to organize the ushers and the porters and the musicians and setting out where certain men are going to serve to ensure that the worship is going to be orderly and it's going to be reverent. The sons of Aaron, the priest, were the main family that would be the worship leaders in the temple. They had been in the tabernacle. That was their designation. They would continue to do so in the temple. And so it is in those chapters that David himself sets out the organizing of the sons of Aaron into 24 courses or teams, if you please, and setting up a rotation schedule whereby they would serve. Some Levites were priests, but some Levites would serve in other capacities. And so what David is doing in these chapters, he's writing the operations manual. He's writing the procedures manual, if you please, for worship in the house of God. I think he dreams every day of what it would be like to worship in such a magnificent building. And though he will never see it, he will never worship in it. He's giving money to build a church he'll never be in. I think it's almost as if he can see the people coming and the choir singing and the congregation rejoicing and the prophets preaching. And finally, as part of his preparation and organizing, David assigns three families to serve as chief musicians. David himself was a musician. Music would have been important to him. He knew the importance of music in a worship service, and he wanted to make sure that even after he was gone, the music was holy and it was reverent, and so having holy men leading the music service is going to be critical. The congregation, the orchestra, the choirs, all of that needs good leadership. And so David chooses three men. Those men are Asher, Heman, and Jeduthun and their families. Levi had been the first priest. All the priestly tribe descended from Levi. And Levi had three sons, Gershom, Merari, and Kohath. From those three sons, you have the entire Levitical family. First Chronicles 6, we'll break it down a little bit farther for you and tell you that Asaph was a descendant of Gershon. That Jeduthun, sometimes called Ethan, he was a descendant of Merari, and Heman was a descendant of Kohath. These three men and their families, their sons, would lead the music ministry of the temple. They would direct the choirs, they would lead the congregation, they would organize the music, they would take the songs that David writes and they would put it to music. And, and, and these three families are very musical. We have families here that are very musical. Everybody sings and everybody plays an instrument. The Ellis family has been up here and everybody plays an instrument. It's the Reigns family. Everybody in that family sings. You have to in order to be a Reigns. And, and, and that's just how some families, they're just like that. These families are not only talented, but they had a good testimony. 
They had clean lives. They, they loved the Lord. And the music ministry, it is in good hands with these three men, and David knew that. I can see them in the evening gathered around somebody's house, and they're gathered around their harps, because they didn't have pianos back then. And I can see them all with their harps and their horns, and they're practicing, and they're playing, and they're writing arrangements. So these three families and their sons are named here. But whenever Scripture gives you extra detail, Pay close attention. And the Bible, for some reason, gives us extra detail to Heman. Verse 4 and 5 names his sons. I'll not name them again, but verse number 5, the last part says that God gave to Heman 14 sons and three daughters. If my math is correct, that's 17 children in all, and all of his sons are in the music ministry with him. All 14 sons have some kind of talent musically, and they have a part in leading some part of music in the temple. And I think that would have been a blessing to him to see all of his children serving the Lord in that capacity. And I wonder if they, I wonder if they sang together as a family. I, I wonder if they played instrumental social specials for the offertory. I, I don't know. I, I think that maybe Heman could sit back and watch the worship of, of the temple. And one son is leading the congregation and one son leads the choir. And there's three or four of them that are in the orchestra. Fourteen sons and three daughters. And they are serving the Lord together as a family. What a blessing that had to be. When I think about Heman, I think about, first of all, the character of Heman. I think he was a good man. I think he was a godly father. It seems that the text implies that it leads me at least to believe that he was a faithful man to his wife and had a faithful walk with God. If you'll flip back quickly, quickly back to 1 Chronicles chapter 6, 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse number 33, you'll find that he is the, uh, uh, the son of... She uh, verse 33, uh, uh, these are they that waited with the children of the sons of the Kohathites. Heman, a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemuel. Shemuel is Samuel. Come back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 6. And first, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter number 8, and I, I'll show this to you quickly. 1 Samuel 8 and verse 1, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. We just read that name. The name of his second, Abiah, they were judges in Beersheba. His sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And, and Samuel was a great prophet, but Samuel failed as a, as, as a father. He had two sons, and neither one of his sons were, were, uh, uh, were good men. They, they, they were priests, but they were corrupt men. In fact, the behavior of Samuel's sons was the reason why Israel demanded to have a king. Heman was the son of Joel. He was the grandson of Samuel the prophet. And it's interesting to me that though he had a wicked father, he didn't follow in his footsteps. It might have been the influence of his grandfather, Samuel. I won't turn to the references for sacred time, but we are told that when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, do you remember that? And they're dancing and they're shouting in the streets. Heman is one of the men that leads that procession in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. I find also in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 through 31, talks about the wisdom of Solomon, and then it talks about the wisdom of Heman. Heman was not just a skilled musician, but he was known in Israel as a man of great wisdom. Heman and Jeduthun were wise men. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 25, if you will look at verse number 5, all these were the sons of Heman, the king's 
seer in the words of God. A seer is kind of like a prophet. And prophecy wasn't just foretelling, it was forthtelling. It would be the equivalent of preaching. And through his music, he, he, he not only just played music, but, but he preached and he edified and he taught doctrine. Uh, verse 2 talks about uh, which prophesied according to the order of the king. There were prophets, there was weight, there was doctrine to their music. Verse 5, he is the seer of the king. Heman was David's personal preacher. I wonder if you could call him David's pastor. He, he, he is such a prophet that he taught David and his household. He's a preacher in the royal court. There were other two men. There was Nathan and Gad, but there's Heman as well. And I say all of this just to say that it is clues along the way that say that Heman was a good man. And his music was only enhanced by his testimony. If you get up to sing or if you get up to preach or whatever you might get to do, and if the audience knows that you are a hypocrite or a heathen, you might as well just sit down. But I'm not interested in a talent show. I love to hear the Reigns family sing. I love to hear them sing, but because I know their life. There's, there's, there's a life that gives gravitas and gives weight behind that. And I, I love it. You can't separate the man from the message. You can't separate the song from the singer. It makes a difference who's singing it. I think he had good character. But then the Bible tells us something about the children of Heman. Because to this godly man, God gave him 14 sons and three daughters. And I think that verse 5 is not just stating a fact. I think it's implying that God gave him 17 children and that it was a blessing to have 17 children. You know, today children are seen as a burden, aren't they? But I think that Heman probably viewed his children as a blessing. They're not a frustration to him. They're not a strain on him. He was glad to have 17 children. Yeah. You know, there are some people in certain circles, and even in the Baptist movement, that believe that the more children that you have, the more spiritual you are. So if you don't have a dozen, and if you don't have a 15-passenger van full, then you're probably not spiritual. And you having as many children as you can afford and as you want. But God gives children by his sovereign will. We had three, three and no more. We didn't plan that. We, we had three and that's all that God gave us. Now I'm fine now. I wouldn't want any more now. I wouldn't want to be Chris Simpson. I'm good right where I am, all right? But God gave him 17 children, but he didn't give everybody 17. And however many children that God, I, I love our young people. I wanted to preach to the young people to see that. I, and I, but I, I, I hope that you don't see your children as a burden. I hope that you're not so selfish and so self-centered that you'd ever let your children know that they are a financial strain on you. I mean, me and you know that they are, but don't ever let them know that, right? The thinking of the world is my career, my hobbies, my boat, my whatever, my life is important. And, and by the way, if you're newly married or just getting married, I know that it is a different world economically now. And you got to have two incomes. And when young couples get married, they're going to establish themselves before they can afford to have children. Let me in on a, let me let you in on a little secret. You will never be able to afford children. So if you're waiting until you can afford them, then just forget it. You're not going to have any. And if you think they're expensive, wait till you have grandchildren. To be so little, but to cost so much. 
It is astounding to me. I, I have six grandchildren. They are the love of my life and my wife. She sends me off to preach meetings to finance her grandmother heaven. That's what I'm doing. I am financing me, me. I have a, you will not believe this, all right, but I'm going to tell you, I am not lying. I'm not just preaching. I'm telling you the truth. I have a one-year-old grandson named Chunk. Well, his name is Chapel. We call him Chunk. And Chunk is turning one-year-old on Saturday. Chunk does not know that he's turning one-year-old on Saturday. And he shouldn't be told that, to be honest with you. But we're having a birthday party on Saturday for one-year-old Chunk. Got a bouncy house. We like to have a pony there, as far as I know. My whole love offering is going to Chunk's birthday party. And I'm thinking you shouldn't tell him about birthdays till they're like four or five or six. Think of the money that we would save. Oh, no, no. We, no, we're going to bring the dog and the pony and the whole nine yards anyway. Oh, it's wonderful to have children. Haman, Haman had 17 children, and I think that he was faithful in bringing them up in the fear of God. Yes. I think that he was faithful in his personal example. Because it's really hard to instill godliness in your children if you don't have any. You can only instill what's inside of you. I wonder if you are content with your children being the kind of Christian that you are. If they were at your level of spirituality, would that be a good goal for you? But his children saw a man who was the same at home as it was at the temple. He didn't just play music at church and come home to be a heathen. Seventeen children and they knew that daddy was a godly man. No parent is perfect, but all you have to do is be consistent. One of the ways that we learn about the character of men in the Bible is how they named their children. And oftentimes in the Bible, their names reflected what was in their heart at the time. They would give their children significant names. Now we give them names that rhyme or whatever is popular, whatever. But they gave them names hoping that they would live up to that name. Now, in verse number four, you have the name of the 14 sons. Just real quickly, an A-H at the end of a name, that, that stands for Jehovah, and E-L-L, that stands for Elohim. Bukiah, I got this out of a Bible dictionary. And so, so here's what they said. Bukiah means mouthpiece of Jehovah. Mataniah, gift of Jehovah. Uziel, God is my strength. Shabuel, God is my honor. Jeremoth, God is my exaltation. Hananiah, uh, Jehovah is gracious. Hanani, grace to me. Eliath, God has come. Jadalti, Jehovah has made me great. Romanti Ezer, God our highest help. Josh Bekesha, God is on his throne. Melothi, Jehovah is speaking. Hother, God gives abundance. Mahazioth, visions of God. 17 names and every name references God in some way. These boys can't even talk to each other. They can't even have a conversation and talk to each other and call each other's name without invoking the name of God. Now, I don't think there's anything magical about giving your children Bible names. If you do, that's wonderful. We have a Megan and we have a Parker. You don't find either one of those in the Bible. But Heman gives his testimony through the names of his children. What a blessing. What a blessing. Children, I, I'm done. I'm done. The character of Heman, the children of Heman, but the consistency of Heman. Yeah. Serving in the temple, music ministry, all family serving God together. All the children have Bible names. What could be better? 
Because serving the Lord is such a charmed life. It's such a trouble-free life. It's such a life of, of blessing and, and family devotions and everybody's happy. What could possibly be wrong? When you're serving the Lord and your family serving to come together, what burdens could you possibly carry? They come to church, they play music, he's a wise man, all the children have God in their name. Good testimony. And with this testimony, surely the home of Heman is a trouble-free home. Three chief musicians, all three of them pen songs themselves. Asaph. Asaph wrote 12 songs that are included in the book of Psalms. Psalm 50, Psalm 73 through 83 are written by Asaph. I think that Asaph was more of a melancholy type personality. His psalms are not the most jubilant psalms. Judusim. Judusim wrote three. Three psalms. Psalm 39, 62, 77. I think that Jerusalem would be more of a camp meeting singer. His songs are more praise and lively. He, he, he would like his songs. Heman. There is only one song in the entire book of Psalms that's given to Heman. There's only one. It's Psalm 88. I want you to read it. Would you take your Bible with me? Would you find Psalm 88? Godly man. Raised all of his children for God, serving the Lord, playing music, naming all of his children something that has to do with God. And Psalm 88 is the only song that we have in the book of Psalms that Heman wrote. I'm going to read it to you. Don't fall asleep with me. I want you to see the heart of this man, Heman. Psalm 88 and verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thy ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I have counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave whom thou rememberest no more, and they're cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit. Thou hast in darkness in the deep. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me. Thou hast afflicted me with all thy ways, Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders in the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee, Selah? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness to destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. It is the saddest song in the book of Psalms. It is dark. It's foreboding. In fact, the very last word 
It's darkness. Every commentator that has commented on Psalm 88 has said it is the darkest, saddest note in the psalm. There is not one single word of hope or encouragement. There is no silver lining. There is no shade of light. There is no glimmer of hope. The writer, it is human. It is human. He has suffered for a long time. He has prayed with no answer. He's near death. He is under a crushing weight. It, it is so jarring and it's unsettling because there is no hope in it. Every psalm starts out with trouble. And it ends in triumph. David. David will start out talking about some distress that he's in. But somewhere in the psalm, he'll flip the switch on. And it goes from gloom to glory. Talks about his confidence in God. How that God delivered him. How that God rescued him. Not here. It is sorrow from beginning to end. This man is suffering. We don't even know why. There's no sin that he confesses. So I can't say he's being chastised. But this godly man who just plays music in the temple and raises his 14 sons and three daughters is under a heavy cross they must bear. Can I tell you that whatever sufferings he's experienced in Psalm 88 doesn't take one thing away from his godly character. In fact, could it be that his sons saw their father in affliction, but still faithful to God, and that made his testimony even more powerful in their lives? 17, 14 sons and three daughters in the privacy of that home, behind the four walls of that home, they saw daddy in some affliction, some denial, some pain. But at the Sabbath, he's out in the temple and he's praising God and he's worshiping. He's hurting, but he's still hopeful. He's wasted, but he's still worshiping, still praying, still praising, still persevering. Psalm 88, he may ask eight questions of God and God does not answer. God does not speak to him in that psalm. But I want you to know that sometimes God's greatest work is done in the silence. God is not mentioned anywhere in Genesis chapter 37 at the beginning of Joseph's story. But God is all in Genesis chapter 37. Job surfaced in silence waiting to hear from God. God don't speak until Job chapter 38. Jesus cried out to the Father from the cross but no answer come and God's silence does not indicate absence in those times when God is silent God may be doing his greatest work he even comes to the place that though I cannot see God I will still trust him and you may go through a season of silence but God will ultimately speak into your soul it's interesting to me I'm done it's interesting to me Psalm 88 saddest Psalm in the book. But Psalm 89, you ought to read it sometime. It's one of the most cheerful books. I will sing the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. It cannot be a coincidence that Psalm 89 comes right after Psalm 88 and it's no coincidence that one day God will give you a song even in your song. 
Haman didn't live a charmed life. Somewhere, somehow, there's affliction and it brings distress. And it seems even a season of depression. Right now in our church, we're on a mountaintop. More people saved already this year than saved last year. Baptizing. Had a boy walk the aisle Sunday morning, got saved, well, baptizing Sunday. We're on a mountaintop right now. I have more people in my church right now going through crises than ever in the history of our church. Two weeks ago, a lady sits in my office before church weeping. And I wept with her as she tells me about the dark valley she's getting ready to walk through. Just this morning, a text from a lady, stage four cancer. Chemo's not working. We're pretty much out of options. But Heman was faithful. No marks in the Bible against him. Still leading worship. Still singing. Still prophesying. Still seared in the court of David. And I believe his children saw it. They saw the faithfulness of a father faithful through the pain. Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. They ministered together, singing the songs of Zion, knowing that behind the song is a broken heart. And I believe God honored them. Did you know that in the history of Israel, there was two great revivals. There's a revival under King Hezekiah. There's a revival under King Josiah. Hezekiah is 500 years after David. Josiah is another 100 years after that. You have to check the references. 2 Chronicles 29, 14. 2 Chronicles 35, 15. In the revival of Hezekiah, Hezekiah names the musicians, the sons of Heman. In the revival of Josiah, he names the musicians, the sons of Heman. Heman's been dead for hundreds of years. But third, fourth, fifth, who knows how many generations, but hundreds of years later, his descendants are still in the temple, still playing their harps, still organizing the music, still leading the choir, still worshiping God. Can I tell you that the greatest reward this side of heaven for serving God has to be you see your children serve God. Can I say to the missionaries that are here that your greatest mission field, your greatest mission field is in the four walls of your house. You pastors, you evangelists, don't get so busy in the ministry that you neglect the greatest ministry God has given you. And that's to your wife and to your family. My, my wife and I, we can sit down with you and we would talk some more stories, stories and we don't do that. And we, we can tell you stories of hardships and I, I know that you could as well. And we can tell you about disappointments. And we can tell you about betrayals. And she can tell you about the lady that sat across the table and said, if it's the last thing I do in life, I will destroy your husband. And we sing that, we, we sing Every day with Jesus sweeter than the day before. I got to be honest with you. Every day has not been sweeter. We've had some Psalm 88 days. We have. But we tried to be faithful. I wish you could meet my wife sometime. Oh, she's a godly lady. Best Christian that I know. I have three children right now that are serving the Lord. It's not because their daddy's a preacher. I can't tell you how many times I wake up in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock. Where's my wife? 
I'd go into the bedroom where those little kids are laying there. My wife would be there praying. <laughs> Begging God to use her children. We went on a cruise one time, having church trouble. And we went on a cruise, it was scheduled at the same time. And all that we did, we cried the whole time on the cruise because of what they're saying back home. We just, just a whole cruise, just a whole cruise. We've been in Psalm 88, and some of you too. In fact, you may be there right now. Don't get bitter at God. Don't get bitter at people. Stay faithful. Let your children see you sing through the storm. And it may just be. That's your greatest reward is to see those children serve God. Build the largest church in America if you want to. My children are my reward. Have your name in the big papers. Let everybody know that you're the great preacher. No. I'll take this. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Bless these families that are here. Trying to be faithful and to serve you. We all have a whole story to tell. But we're not here to bemoan that. We're not, we're not here for that. We just want to be faithful. Just want to be faithful. Bless these families. Bless these young people that are here. Touch them. Fill them with your power. Use them in a mighty, mighty way. Speak to his father, I pray. Jesus.